0: Thank you for joining us for Opportunity Makers. Notch was founded by two immigrants, and ahead of National Immigrants Day, we wanted to showcase and profile storytellers and leaders across different sectors and industries to prove that immigrants by and large are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. Today we are joined by Gary Vaynerchuk. You know him and you love him, but what you may not know is that Gary is an immigrant. Gary Vaynerchuk is a serial entrepreneur, a five time New York Times bestseller. And he is the chairman of VaynerX, CEO of Vayner Media and Vayner Sports, and co founder of Empathy Wines. He is a public speaker and an angel investor with early investments in Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Venmo, and Uber. So excited to hear Gary's story today.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to have the one and only Gary V here with me today uh, talking about something that I don't think he talks about as often as he does about marketing, which is his uh, coming to America story, his family's coming to America story and what that's meant for him and his career and uh, the way he looks at our industry as well. So I'm really excited to welcome you, Gary, um, and to hear your story
2: today. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really honored and love always working with you and Notch and our different ventures. And I'm um, super excited for this one because to your point, you know, I, at this point, I, I contextualize it quite a bit. I think a lot of people do know I wasn't born in America and all that stuff, but not in depth as often as I, as I probably wish I would or should or could. And so I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's
1: start at the beginning. What's your coming to America story?
2: So I was born in Belarus, in Babrusk, Belarus, uh, on a very snowy day in 1975, November 14th, 1975. Um, and um, and my dad had a, uh, my parents were very young. You know, by the way, this will make sense to a lot of immigrants. I was literally born one day after, nine months and one day after my parents got married. So it was very, <laughs> you know, it was very old country. Like if you didn't have a baby in yep. the first year, right? Yeah, um, sure. And so I, uh, you know, my parents were very young. They were 22 and 20 when they had me, and my family. My dad had a great uncle in America, my dad's grandmother's uh, brother, and he visited three or four years earlier and kind of planted in my dad's seat head because he saw my dad had a little entrepreneurial kind of like vibe of like he needs to be in America, which you know, for you know, Soviet Russia was impossible to even dream, Um, but uh, there was a organization by the name of HIASTS, a Jewish organization that had ties to Israel and America that was created to help persecuted Jews around the world get out of tough situations. And Mm -hmm. Russia, unbeknownst to many people at that point, but later as we look in history, was the Soviet Union was in a very Big pickle, and their economy was collapsing from underneath them. And being Jewish in the Soviet Union is not the greatest thing, um, you know. Jews are persecuted pretty heavy in that part of Europe at that point, and still to underlining in some degree. And so, let's put it this way: the Soviet Union was in the mood at that point to trade some Jews for some resources. And I got very, very, very fortunate. You know, I hate you know I don't love to use the word luck because I know how hard my parents work, how hard I worked, but many things in life are actually luck uh, or just very fortunate timing and then what do you do with them? And so it's not lost on me how fortunate I was to be in my age at that time where we were able to get out. So the highest path, which I've met a lot of Russian Jews through the years was a very cliche, everyone went to Austria. Austria got their game involved there. Italy, Italy got its little take I'm sure on this system and then you kind of went to different places. Australia, Israel was originally the destination for many. America, we had this great uncle, we were gonna come to America. It was the whole family, by the way. It was just, it was me and my parents. Then it was also, unfortunately, both my parents had lost a parent at a very young age. So I didn't, I didn't have many grandparents at that point, but my grandmother, my dad's mom was coming, her parents, my great grandparents, um, and then, and then her brother and his family. So it was this group of like 12 13 of us we were all coming to america actually i never let me get the number down two um they were three so that's five my grandma six me, my mom so there was so there was nine of us and we were coming to america and we are all excited cuz you know it's exciting but then also we felt a little sense of comfort because of this great uncle who's also very wealthy and did really well um and he dies when we're in Italy. Oh my God. Yes, so the uncle that's gonna take care of us and gave us the courage to leave now passes. Mm. And to the credit of that gentleman, Jack Siegelman, to his credit or to the credit of his children, Bob Siegelman, who's passed as well since, and Arlene Newman, who's still alive, his kids, my dad's cousins, luckily for us, were open to like these long lost relatives from Russia and were very nice and gracious to us when we first came to America. But it was a very tough situation. We came to the US and the summer and winter, cause we were scattered a little bit, some of us, of 78. The economy was on its way to crashing, the Carter years, the gas crisis, that like it was not the greatest era in America. And my parents always tell the story of like, paved with gold. It was paved with garbage. We were like in the hood and in Queens. And like, it was a tough transition so much so that there's still a big debate between my mom and dad. If my dad actually said he wanted to go back like in the first year, it was that tough. We lived in a studio apartment with like six family members. My dad got a bunch of side jobs. I like poured hot tea on my leg and burnt myself heavy as a kid. Early on, I was in the hospital for like four days. Like it was just, and my parents geniusly decided to have another child. So here comes my sister, Liz, you know, like literally, like she like her nickname in the first couple of years in Russian was the garbage baby. Cause literally everything she had, we found in the garbage. So it was like real rugged stuff. Um, and, but my great uncle owned all these assets. He had a real estate business. He had a liquor store. My dad first started working in the real estate, you know, uh, company building because he was a construction guy in Russia too, making minimum wage, schlepping at job sites. But then the, I mean, just the economy collapsed, and so my dad got a job in in this great uncle, now you know, his cousin's liquor store in Clark, New Jersey, as a stock boy, making a dollar eighty five an hour, minimum wage, and that's how kind of that became the process. That was the starting point, the seed of us kind of making it in America, which, you know, led to a different chapter. But that was, that was our coming to America story. And how old were you when you got
1: to the US? I was three. How much of those early
2: years do you remember? Love this question. So I remember 0.0 of the Soviet Union, Austria, Austria Italy and I, but I start remembering a stunning amount of our first year in America. Mm-hmm. I I sometimes wonder if it was such a big life event that something kind of erased it, or is it just, you know, cliche, most people don't remember up to three and a half, and then it starts kind of getting a little fuzzy. So so I remember nothing of the process. I remember 50 to 100 vivid memories of the first year in America. So it's kind of why I always find that interesting part of the story.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I I wonder in the, in the first few years, so as you started, you know, really hustling to survive, um, how do you think that, that impacted you seeing your parents go through everything?
2: um, I'll make it a little bit. Yeah. I'll make it a little more 360. I, we had a big epiphany in our family a couple years ago when I was with there with my brother and sister talking to my parents. Like literally just a random dinner night, all the family was together. And it just dawned on me, wait a minute, mom, because my mom's super cheap, which is amazing. My dad loves that because he, he's also very frugal with money. When you come from nothing, I so get it. But I, I had this weird thought of like, wait a minute, mom, we lived way below our actual means, even when we had some means, like what, like, wait a minute, we got, it, was, it was obviously in joke form, we got screwed. We lived poorer our whole lives than we actually were. But it, it's, it's funny that when you asked me that question, that that story popped in my mind. Mm. It affected me in the most profound way. I mean, we're all affected. We're all affected by our early years. It's super well mapped. And obviously immigrants have something more, not tangible, because listen, there's plenty of Americans or anybody who's like, you know, natural, anybody who's, of their place, you know, there could be a life event. You know, my mom lost her mom at five. You know, had she never moved out of Russia, that was her punchline, right? Like that's what affected her. And so I think for immigrants, a lot of times, the the immigration is that story, but my parents spent money on nothing. Until I was literally, until I started buying my own clothes, 85% of my wardrobe was liquor store promotional items. I literally wore liquor (laughs) T-shirts. at least from the waist up every t-shirt sweatshirt hoodie like everything like like we never spent money on anything like I, by the time i was 10 years old i had to buy every toy video game for myself cuz my mom told me to go figure it out and so i'm a 100% product of that and work ethic to your point like you know one of the great sadnesses of my professional career is that a lot of people try to put hustle porn as a as something that I'm a champion of, you know, like as the word work ethic or, you know, hustle as I used to call it, now I say work ethic because the word has transformed into a negative around mental health and burnout and things of that nature. But really, you know, it's funny, one of the words that, one of the things that's been most difficult for me is being attached, like believing in work ethic more than anything, and I still do to this second, because you just need to make it part of the equation. But also, the manifestation of how I used to communicate it becoming a negative makes me sad because there was no part of me that ever thinks of like burnout or mental health issues. But I watched people that just wanted to make it have like real, like work ethics part. Like, my mom, it's crazy. My dad worked. I mean, I never saw my dad. My dad worked. 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., six days a week. And then Sundays, he worked as well and took two days off a year, Christmas Day and New Year's, where he slept all day because he was exhausted. And I still think my mom is the person I've seen work the hardest in the world, right? Like my dad's insane. And my mom, like three kids, no help. We, she also ent- created too much entitlement with us, taught us nothing. She took care of everything, worked, put us to bed and then set, cooked dinner every night. for my Like, like just sheer work, they just came from that old country, and I mean, it shaped me completely.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. I think um, I, th- I think of mental health as not something that immigrants are immune to in any way. Um, and I'm sure you struggle. I've struggled. I think we all struggle with some form of, of course, FOMO, anxiety, depression, etc. But um, there's something about that generation that you talk about. They have no choice. Like, it's almost like there was no, <clears throat> not, not only no safety net, there was just no choice. It was a survival decision. And as such,
2: uh, it was the only decision. So I- In a real a way, respect, right? I think I think you and I have, you know, listen, I wish it actually had no one, or let me phrase. 100%, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I don't think a lot of people actually realize they're how fortunate they are. And I think, and I never blame anyone for it because I don't think anybody understands anything all the way until you live it, you know? And so I, you know, parenting is to me the funniest one, just the way all of us talk about our parents and then you become one and you're like, oh, okay. You know, like, so like, you know, like all these different things, um, I get it. I agree with you hundred percent when you have literally no choice, literally. And I, the other thing I think people struggle with is I watch people complain about money while drinking a six dollar Starbucks coffee, <laughs> you know. And when you're when you're raised the way I am, where my mom, literally my dad, so you know, I'm my parents were so young when they had me. I remember my dad's thirtieth birthday, and it was like this big to do where all the Russian uncles got drunk as hell and all that. <laughs> and what I remember from that thirtieth birthday more than anything, because I was eight already, and so I remember it vividly, is my parents, my mom and grandmother took our curtains or whatever it was in our kitchen and converted it into a dress for my sister for the party for the like five weeks before. Just remember vividly, like them taking it down. Now we had no curtains. It was just the sun was coming in and my sister was then wearing a dress for my dad's 30th birthday made from that because there was no, no way we were even gonna go to Kmart and spend $3.99 or six ninety nine dollars on a dress for my sister, for my dad's 30th big, big, big birthday, even though it was like hyped for a year. Like, you know, like, and so I just don't think, you know, people get it. You know this. I mean, maybe your family was part of this, like the amount of engineers, doctors, like wildly educated, capable individuals that came from Eastern Europe, from Central and South America, from all over the world to America, to clean toilets was extraordinarily high. And and when people hear that they don't get it, it's because they don't realize how much gratitude and how invigorating the process of building was in a world where you were not able to do that. When I tell you, as I'm even saying these words, the thought of how pure I think I am as an entrepreneur, meaning just truly love the game, like really just I mean, I'll t- listen, I say this and I mean it. I'll take the things that come along with being a successful entrepreneur, AKA the accolades, the financial, but boy, like what I love is when my friends from high school and junior high come out of the woodworks when I'm getting shit on by somebody and they're like, you don't know. You don't know this dude literally didn't go to part, like he literally went to garage sales at four in the morning. Like I love the game so much. When I think that I was born in the place that most demonized it, this game. And I ended up in the place that most put it on a pedestal. I'm, I'm, I'm curious when you say you love the game. So tell me, do
1: you think, how, how much of that is, you know, call it DNA, how much of that is being, being able to grow up here and being told that you can, um, how much of that is, you know, your dad and your mom, um, and how much of that is just being an immigrant? Like, do you think if you had been Born into an American family, do you think
2: the same would have happened um,
1: the same I think, I
2: think if I was born into an American family that was that frugal and that stuck in a financial situation at first that I could taste and not read about and then 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 it could happen. And I think you know I, I do. I think that the one difference is I think about somebody in a very low income situation in America um, who makes it, I do think that there is a incredible privilege to know that you're American. That is the one extra variable of chip. I think chips on shoulder. I think adversity is genuinely foundational of success. And so, you know, what, what an American, the exact same version of me being an American wouldn't have had to deal with is when I was in Dover, New Jersey and I couldn't speak English and the kids figured it out and then they forced me to drink piss out of a Pepsi can even though I knew that that's what they were doing but I couldn't stop them. They probably would have made me one of them instead of picked on me because I would have spoken English, right? Like, so I think there's a couple of those things that again, add to the chips on the shoulder. Um, But yes, I think to your point, I'm always fascinated when I talk to entrepreneurs that were the child of like two uh, union workers or teachers. I'm always fascinated how they went the other way. I just only saw how my dad eventually, I, I mean, I I knew him and I knew it when he worked for a business, but I mainly grew up in an environment where he owned his own liquor store. And at 14, I was dragged in to help it. So like, you know, I don't, you know, I'm like old school immigrant, much more similar to you know, the six, the 50s and 40s, like I'm a son of a merchant. I'm more schmalt. Like when I watch documentaries of like schmata and Brooklyn and fruit stand, I'm like, that's me. Because we were in a cocoon. Like at 14, there was no discussion. Literally my 14th birthday was like, uh-huh. Like it was like sign language. Like you now know what that means, right? And I'm like, yes. That Like without a word being exchanged. Yes, I know what that means, mom and dad. I will be going to the store every weekend, every summer vacation, every school vacation. And I will be contributing to this family thing. Mhm. Yep. Totally get
1: it. I did the same. I started at 13 selling fridges
2: and other appliances. <laughs> oh. But you know, it what it, what it gave you and I the advantage of, and it makes it makes it becomes so logical to what transpired with us is by the time we went into this part of our lives, what I tell people is I'm 44 years old, but I'm 90. I have truly 38 years of experience for real, for real. Not even kinda kinda like because of the way I was as a kid, 50% of my time was doing businesses in the mm-hmm. summer and school. And I was, a te- I was a little bit weird in the fact that a lot of people really put education on a pedestal for us. And so I was, being a poor student was a little bit of an enigma, which led me to really spending more time on my craft. You know, I think, you know, when you're selling fridges at 13, like you're prepped for what you do now, <laughs> you know, and same for me. And so I get that.
1: So uh, the reason I wanted to start the series, Gary, it honestly, doesn't have that much to do with the business. It's because this is one of those topics that makes me very, very passionate and sometimes very angry. Um, I'm still on a visa. I've been here since I was uh, 18, and um, it's been interesting to to see how what the approach around immigrants is, both officially and unofficially. And so we're calling the series "Opportunity Makers," and we're featuring immigrants who've created a tremendous amount of opportunity. Obviously, you've done that in, in leaps and bounds by all the jobs you've created and all the people you've inspired. I'm curious as you, as you look at, um, you know, a, a pool of candidates to hire, do you guys have a stance on, on diversity as it refers to immigration? If not, how do you think about it? Um,
2: we, um, we, we do, ha- we do have it standardized around gender and race and the quote of like being very thoughtful of, trying to create, you know, I used to be so anti-quota um, until I realized that subconscious bias was a real vulnerability to my heart, for, you know? And so we do, Of and you know this, like no matter who the leader is of any organization, they're always gonna subconsciously, thus it becomes real, lean towards their reality. So as you can imagine, the amount of immigrants that weren't great students that are running through Vayner's ecosystem is very high. So this, you know, this one's been a little bit easier than other subject matters. I got pretty lucky. I, I grew up in a very diverse environment in Edison, New Jersey. My mom was my hero. So as the world has become more thoughtful around being proper in its mix and things of that nature, we always find ourselves in a pretty nice spot. But that was the luck of like the circumstances I grew up in. Um, So how do I think about it? I think that um, I am blown away by how many immigrants that were fortunate enough to get to this country then don't want other immigrants to come into this country. That has been heartbreaking for me. I have been completely, completely stunned by the hypocrisy at scale. And by the way, from Russians to my me- best friends, Mexico, like Mexico, Russia, Salvador, like it's Asia, Middle East, like it's wow. The human beings like just literally sitting around business tables over the last three, four, five years and saying, "Not, not the thing you hear a lot." And immigrants will understand this. stuff like, "Well, I went through the right process; they should too." That's a different conversation. I'm talking actual. Well, yeah, like, no, I don't want them to come any, like, I don't want my relatives, like not even in joking form. There's just something very, actually here's where I'll go with it. I think this all goes to a very macro place of, are you somebody who builds tall buildings or are you somebody who likes tearing down other people's buildings because you're incapable of building a tall building? So much of this is completely predicated on mass and security at scale and actually believing the world isn't abundant and actually believing things are scarce. The humans that actually believe that somebody is taking something away from them in any shape or form, a job, an opportunity or things of that nature, getting caught up in this. And I'm just, I'm I'm fascinated by people's inability to understand that whether immigrant, whether third generation, male, female, black, white, either people are creating or people are taking. And people are very much misunderstanding the macro scenarios that are playing out around this issue.
1: Totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Really appreciate your thoughts on this and uh, sharing
2: your story. Thank you for doing this. And, and, and I really wish you success with this and I can't wait to share it. Thank you. Thank Take you. care.
0: In typical Gary V form, Gary shared an empowering message to immigrants as well as everyone working to make a difference through the work that they do. Thank you so much, Gary Vaynerchuk, for joining us. And it is with that that we end our inaugural season of Opportunity Makers. It has been great to share these stories of immigrants who are making a difference at top brands and across different industries and showcasing that they are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. While this is just the beginning of an important conversation, we hope to continue it in the coming months. Please stay tuned to our blog, to hear the rest of the stories from the opportunity maker series as well as follow along what Notch is doing in the rise of content intelligence